How did a frog become a massive security threat? How did a hike on the Appalachian Trail lower the sepsis rate at one hospital? And how can a heart score save $32 million? Welcome to the Transformative Healthcare Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Chobatar. I serve as publisher and editor-in-chief of Advent Health Press. We're trying something that's new for us with this podcast. We often create podcast series after a book is released, but this time we're going to share the book's concepts before they're published as a work in progress. Our authors for this project are Dr. Jeffrey Kuhlman, who serves as Senior Vice President and Chief Quality and Safety Officer for Advent Health Orlando. His co-author is Daniel Peach, Director of Clinical Transformation at Advent Health Orlando. Today's podcast is entitled, Save Thousands of Lives and Millions of Dollars. So now let's join Jeffrey Kuhlman and Daniel Peach as they discuss a massive security threat, the Heart Score Project, and how to save $32 million. Okay, so as I mentioned before, I was in law enforcement before being involved in healthcare. And a story always strikes me. Uh, early hours of the morning. Uh, We were all out on patrol and an urgent call came through the radio. The call was very vague. Um, The dispatcher that was there said, got a major problem. I've got a woman on the call. All I can hear is screaming. It's frantic. We're tracking and tracing the address now. I need to mobilize everyone there. So SWAT units, everyone associated with it, starts rolling towards an area that we sort of knew where it was. We then get the, she's still screaming, I've got the address, let's go. Blues and twos as we termed it, lights, sirens, everything. We came screaming in from every area that we could. As we were moving, um, in the UK, you, you have to ask permission to pull firearms if it's necessary. And so those permissions were given out Firearms were put on, people would put their vests on, um, you're scrambling to go on, you never know what's going on. All we know that there is a female in distress, she's constantly screaming, we just don't know what's going on. We all screech up, like in the movies, people coming in sideways in the cars, vans are pulling up, we all bail out. We rush, not so much through the garden gate, or not so much round it, but through it, crashing the gate down. We then hit the door. And when I say hit the door, we hit the door. The door literally came off its hinges. We burst in the door, fan out to contain. I look up and see the woman at the top of the stairs, screaming, bright red in her face, frantic. I'm barking orders. Where's the problem? What's the issue? She's screaming and pointing at the base of the the stairway. We're moving around to secure the area. What's the problem? What's the problem? She screams, there, there. I look down, a killer frog. A frog was sat at the base of the stairs. We have mobilized everything we had in our arsenal because of a female in distress, screaming, crying. There was a frog hiding at the bottom of her stairs and holding her there. Every resource we had available was sent at that specific time. Not sure if we were rescuing her or the frog, but it showed sometimes that when the alarm goes up, we run to it. And when we run to it, it's a perceived threat. 
we put people, we put time, we put technology all in one go, rather than taking that little bit of a breath and evaluating the situation. This we probably could have downrated a little bit, the fact that it was a frog that was causing the problem. So I, I think we're, we're addressing the worst case scenario. Absolutely. So what happened to the frog? So we actually rescued the frog. So it all turned out well. Um, the lady took a little longer to calm down, but the frog was pretty frantic as well at that stage with lots of people dressed in black bursting through doorways. So, but he did well. Yeah. He did well. So in healthcare today, for the first time in history, individuals pay more of the healthcare dollar than insurance companies or government programs. When you add up all of the copay, all of the deductibles, the high deductibles were... Um, often you have to pay thousands of dollars before your insurance even kicks in. Yep. We know patients are over-admitted. They're often at the receiving end of Star trek tests <laughs> and costly diagnostics that might not even be necessary. Uh, but we think of the worst-case scenario. Reminds me of the cartoon. We still have the patient sitting on the exam table with the arrow through his head. Yeah. And by now the doctor has, has uh, looked at his patient and he's figured out, you got an arrow in your head, figured out what the problem is. He's looked up from his um, electronic medical record or from his clipboard and makes the astute diagnosis of, I think I know what the problem is, but I'm going to order these tests just to be sure. Yeah, I mean, it, that it, it really epitomizes where we are today. It, it's... It, there is a traditional thought process now of, or there used to be, of, of getting heads in beds. It, it's so just admitting patients, just getting people in, and then we can work out what the issue is after that. And it, it's a bit like you taking your car into the uh, the garage and saying, "Look, I need an oil change on this." So they look at your vehicle, and instead of just changing the oil that's there, they decide that you need all the gaskets changed, and you need new tires, and we've got to put new brakes on there. This isn't really considering the owner of the vehicle that's there. This isn't really considering that patient first. It's let's throw everything that we've got at it. Let's get a, a solution as we can. That leads to a whole host of ramifications for the patient that you're looking at the high costs for tests. You're looking at all of the staffing and the bad issues that are there. You've got, in some respects, the high risk of putting patients who are sick with other people that are sick or patients that aren't sick with yeah they're, they're trying so you're 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 starting to extend the issues potentially hospitals can make patients sicker with the the hospital acquired conditions that we all know about and like c diff and mrsa and we know a hospital environment isn't necessarily the best holistic healing environment that a patient can can be in so this this environment of today's healthcare system I think is the perfect test bed for the uh, transformative methodology. So by testing the methodology at the top of the funnel with the highest patient volume, um, that would be chest pain. So in our healthcare system under one hospital license in a, a city of three million um, population, more than 4,000 patients a month present to the eight emergency departments with the, um, the common um, chief complaint of chest pain. The typical story of a chest pain patient is pretty predictable. Yeah. Patient comes in, says, I'm having chest pain. 
and then they go through test, test, test. They get a EKG, they get blood test, not just the basic that's on the um, algorithm, but they used to get a different variety of testing of, you know, maybe this person needs an ultrasound, maybe this person needs a CAT scan, this person needs a transesophageal echocardiogram, and this patient needs a stress test where they can just lay in the bed and get an injection of a medication, or this one actually we're going to get up and run them around the bed a few times and see what happens. So just lots of variability. And then the decision made is always on the ultra conservative side of, um, well, you know, one in a hundred times um, this can happen. So I'm going to err on the side of admitting the patient to the hospital. It's the, it's almost like the, I can hear a noise in the car. So I'm going to change the engine just for the sake of it, just to make sure. Right. That Cause I know how. Get, yeah. So we've, we've been taught in healthcare that you don't want to risk missing something and having the patient yeah. die or having the patient have serious uh, um, medical problems. So they're admitted even if the symptoms don't warrant it. Yes. So the, the heart score was a dramatic change. The heart score is that stratification tool that the physicians identified, hey, let's follow the algorithm, let's stratify them into um, high, medium, low risk after we've um, skimmed off the patients that straightway go to the cath lab yeah. and get their arteries opened up. Those really serious patients that are identified straight yeah. away. So in the baseline years, the baseline years before the, um, uh, the transformation methodology was um, piloted and implemented, of those thousands of patients a month with chest pain, about one in four, 26%, were identified as, hey, you're safe to be discharged right. without any follow-up, but just safe to be discharged. Um, and then half of the patients, or 48%, was, um, were identified as, we need to put you in a chest pain observation unit. So put you in the observation, and the emergency medicine physician kind of had done their job, wiped their hands, and passed off to the uh, observation unit. And then just over a quarter of patients, 26%, um, were just admitted straight to the, um, uh, to the inpatient hospitalization. And we found that patients that were cleared for discharge spent several hours in the emergency department with lots of variation of what was done to them, and very few ever followed up again. Yes. Patients that went to the observation unit would spend about a day and a half in the observation unit, and different variation was done for the, for the testing, figuring out what was going on. And the vast majority of them did not have an impending heart attack. Right. Um, happening. And then for the patients that got admitted, whether they had um, something go wrong or not, they would spend three and a half to four days in the inpatient unit. And you often spend a day getting settled in the hospital, a day getting the cardiology consult, a day getting the um, the testing done. And then uh, some would go to the cath lab and get a diagnostic uh, catheterization done of the uh, arteries. And there would be a very few that would have to go on and get um, surgery or intervention with balloon, stent or whatever, yeah, stent yeah. or balloon angioplasty. Um, so after the implementation phase, and with the sustainment with the key, with the key measures, today it's a dramatically different story. Yes, patients that are identified as you are low risk. Um, you have that second uh, serial enzyme that shows that it's not elevated you are safe for discharge and will connect you to an outpatient doctor. Um, the percentage has more than doubled 
So now it's 52% of patients have been safely identified that you can, you can um, be discharged from the hospital and followed up. Patients going to observation at 48% is now at 38%. So that's about a quarter relative change. Right. And then patients um, identified of, oh, you have to be admitted to the hospital has been more than cut in half, where today it's less than 10%. So previously, 26%, when there was not a, a standardized method that the physicians had agreed upon, it was 26%, and today it's under 10%. So we, we stay connected with patients who are discharged for that additional outpatient evaluation. And we find that they, all of them don't follow up, but most of them do. Yes. And they all get given the opportunity of, you know, here's your, here's here's your appointment and this right. is where, when, and right. how you go to it. Yeah. yeah. And you can, you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Yeah. So, um, we followed all of those patients, which has been tens of thousands for a month and found there's been zero instances of a major adverse cardiac event, which uh, we call MACE. Uh, so by the numbers, 4,000 patients a month with yep. chest pain. Today, we have 1,000 fewer patients that have to stay in the hospital. So of that, 700 of those don't have to be admitted for inpatient, and uh, 300 less have to be in observation. Right. So if you do the math of the 3.5 day stay and the 1.5 day stay for admission and observation, it does change your daily census by about 100 patients. Right. So the traditional healthcare administrator and finance officer is going to have a heart attack themselves. <laughs> they're going to they're be in the ED with right. going through a heart score. Because they, um, they, it doesn't follow the heads and beds. Yes. But what it does follow is doing what's best for patients. So those 100 beds on any given day are not being taken up by low-risk patients who are really easy to take care of because they weren't going to have anything go wrong with them. They just had a chance of having something go wrong with them. So right. they were at risk. Um, so instead, we use those 100 beds for patients that are fighting for their life. So either they're having complications of end organ um, failure that they get their life-saving um, transplants, or they are sepsis patients that need the higher level of care uh, that only an intensive care unit or progressive care unit or med surge unit uh, can give them. And, and also those patients that may not have been within our system, whereas before we couldn't have taken patients from out of system who didn't necessarily have the same level of care available, we can now take those patients in and so be able to give that care and attention to patients that may not have made it in the past. Right. Before we had to put up the no vacancy sign. Yeah. And now we can put up, hey, we have um, 100 extra beds and staff and they magically get filled with um, patients with a, a higher case mix index or a higher severity of illness and um, complicated that the staff is well-trained and well-prepared um, to take care of. So the cost comparisons. So we talked about the, uh, the, the, the numbers of people that changed, but the cost comparisons. So when you admit a patient for chest pain, the average cost of the, the direct cost, not, yep. not just the indirect cost, but the direct cost of the labor that's involved or the 
uh, reusable, the usable supply, consumable supplies yeah. that you use is a, uh, came out to about $3,500. Right. And that's just not at our hospital, but that's that's a national... A, a national figure that's there, yeah. That, that um, uh, benchmark that we compared to. For observation, that observation stay of a day or a day and a half was about $1,500 of direct cost. The direct cost for the patient that's just evaluated in the emergency department and is safe, good to go, uh, discharged to uh, further care as an outpatient is $500. So if you do a direct cost analysis showing your opportunity for, co- for, uh, uh, for cost, taking cost out of the healthcare system, just in one year for the, um, the thousand fewer patients a month, of which 700 are admissions and 300 are observations, and you multiply it by the cost savings, the, the $3,500 minus the $500, because it doesn't go to zero, no, but that's it's right. just instead of inpatient, now they're outpatient. So that's your direct cost. That adds up to just in our healthcare system alone, thirty-two million dollars of opportunity a year. So it's it's quite a chunk of cash that potentially, by doing the right thing, you can actually um, identify within the system. Yeah, and the the cost savings actually goes back to the employers that are sending their patients to you yep. so they, they don't have to raise the prices of, of uh, their business. Um, it goes back to the insurance companies that don't have to raise the premiums. And then if, if a quarter of the population is self-pay, we're actually, f- in our state, we're fully at risk for those patients. Right. So then it's um, instead of dollars that we've used that are um, community benefits for um, caring for the self-pay, it's actually dollars that you don't you don't have to spend. For the healthcare system, the $32 million saved only matters if you adjust your staffing ratios and your practices yep. to reallocate your expertise where it needs to go. And I think that that's another of the important issues that come out of this, is, is being able to highlight that you can reutilize the, the the expertise of the staff that you have and to be able to link those with, as, as we mentioned before, those patients that may have been out of your system before that you're bringing in. So you can up the levels of skill sets that are there and that helps with the transplant patients, those patients that are on ECMO, all of those ones where they need that higher level of expertise and skill sets. Yeah. So it's not just operating cost that you have savings and that you exhibit um, good stewardship with but it's also capital. Right. And the opportunity to, um, uh, f- for capital reallocation is the example I would use is mention that 100 patients less a day census. So in the, in the old traditional model, we would have had to build new tower and a new tower of care that has 100 rooms it looks nice and it's fancy and there is economic value to the community for that, but there's also a cost. The average hospital room um, taking care of chest pain patients is about a million dollars per bed. That's a hundred million dollar project that you've avoided building and you can reallocate that to doing something else that's desperately needed. You know, do you need uh, intensive care units um, redesign? Do you need other uh, other cutting-edge technology to invest in uh, to take care of patients that have 
acute conditions. And I, and I think in another way, it's it's important as well is that we can sometimes forget that where we got caught up in that that heads in bed is that we've got to sort of drift away from that that factory aspect that was there, and that hospitals are a place for patients to convalesce to be treated, and we've got to look at all too often the conditions that go in, we find that those the patients start to go downhill. And um, we've got to consider that holistic aspect with the patient. I mean, if you look at sepsis as a, a prime example of that, um, we know it's the number one cause of inpatient deaths in, in hospitals. One of the big things that you try to do is we get that patient on that road to recovery is we start, we, we try and get the patients to rest. And that helps with that whole person health. But we often find it, it, we make it impossible for the patients to to actually follow that advice often i mean it's we wake a patient up every couple of minutes just to see if they're asleep and you've got alarms going off and you've got people doing things and and so in some respects we make the the environment hard that's in there we've got to soften that environment and by having the finances available we can help with that um, it's a prime example, as you know, I do a lot of hiking and climbing and things like that. And one of the big things I noticed is that if you're out and you're hiking in the Appalachian or somewhere like that, the noises are soft. It, it sort of gives you the, the flow that goes with it. And as soon as you come down into the towns, everything becomes hard. It, it, it becomes metallic in its outlook and it's, it's a forced rhythm that's there. And we've got to introduce within the clinical aspect as well that we we soften our approach and we take that hard money aspect that's there and we turn it into something that that will help the patients so if you look again going back to sepsis where we had before we'd introduced that mortality uh, before we'd introduced that methodology the mortality rate there was was around about 22 percent now, that's slightly better than the national average that's there. Right, and that's for all-cause sepsis. And that, that's uh, all-cause sepsis, sepsis. Severe sepsis, septic shock. Absolutely. So from the lesser state to the more serious state that's there. And after just a couple of years of introducing the news 2 score in there. And the power plan. And the power plan and getting that consensus that's there. For the methodology. For the methodology. And, the algorithm. Yep. and, and taking that holistic approach, that we got that reduced down to 8%. Now, 22% down to 8%, sometimes that's hard to translate into, like, what, what does that actually represent? So doctors are interested in saving lives. Yep. Um, so we heard about saving millions yep. with, um, with uh, chest pain and using the methodology for that. So with sepsis, with the using the algorithm, the transformative methodology, lowering the mortality rate, in two years' times, that that 14% absolute reduction in mortality is 14% survival, increase in survival rate. That represents 1,500 additional lives Absolutely. in two years. They are, they are patients that walked out of the hospital rather than never making it. Right. And the benefits beyond the 1,500 individuals of families, loved ones, friends, uh, contribution um, to society is um, immeasurable. So I think of this as this is just the beginning. Chest pain, sepsis, those are two of the most important condition where we've seen that the transformation methodology works. And it's been changed, the care has been changed permanently. And that's in a relatively short period of time of year, you know, of yeah. years, just in a short number of years. And in just a few hospitals, 
And that approach has literally saved thousands of lives and millions of dollars. That completes this episode of Transformative Healthcare, a limited edition 14-part podcast series. I've been your host, Todd Chobatar. To discover other great resources to help you feel whole in mind, body, and spirit, please visit us online at adventhealthpress.com. While you're there, remember to sign up for our free newsletter that includes healthy living tips, leadership wisdom, and regular giveaways. Be sure to tune in for our next episode where Jeffrey Coleman and Daniel Peach will be discussing the U.S. space program, President John F. Kennedy, and moonshot opportunities in healthcare. Thanks for joining us.